Hello and welcome back to Live, Laugh, Love, Real Estate, Conversations with Lisa Loveland and Costa Hansis. Today we have John Santiago, the one of the mayoral candidates for the city of Boston, and I think you will find him incredibly impressive and the best person for this job. So what we'd like to do, John, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know how busy you are. Um, John actually is in emergency room uh, doctor at Boston Medical Center and a state rep and running for mayor. So he has a, a few things <laughs> on his plate. Um, so John, if you just want to start by um, giving our listeners a little bit about your background and then we can talk about uh, why you're running for mayor and an overall like a high level view of what you think the city sure. needs and then we'll get into some Would love to. Things. No, thank you for the invitation. It's great to be here on the podcast and to sit down with the two of you uh, on this gorgeous day. Um, although we're indoors, we'll be outdoors soon. But uh, again, John Santiago, I wear a couple of different hats, as you s stated. Uh, I'm currently running for mayor of Boston. I think this is a pretty historical race that we're living in uh, and experiencing. And uh, But I wear a couple of hats. I'm a state representative. I represent the South End primarily, but also parts of the Fenway, Back Bay, and Roxbury neighborhoods. And, but more so than that, I look at myself as a public servant, really someone who's dedicated my life to serving those communities and those people most vulnerable. Um, you know, I grew up in Boston for a number of years. I was born in Puerto Rico, and my experiences in Boston, particularly as a person of color growing up in Roxbury, seeing some of the difficulties and challenges my family faced, uh, not just with respect to, you know, housing and education, but also health. My uncle died of AIDS at the age of 36, and that inspired me to get involved in healthcare. And so through a lot of hard work, but a lot of luck, I became a physician. And so I work as an emergency room doctor at Boston Medical Center, where I've been for the past six, seven years. And it's an exciting job that I love. It's taught me so much. And I also am a captain of the Army Reserve and a former Peace Corps volunteer. So I never really envisioned myself getting involved in politics, per se. Um, why I jumped into- Precisely why we need you. <laughs> Well, why I jumped into politics three years ago, I guess it's been three years, is because I felt that my particular community uh, wasn't getting the representation or the services that they deserve, particularly in, in a very challenging setting. We were facing increasing housing costs, an education system that wasn't working for our city. We had a drug problem in the neighborhood that I was impacting, not just my neighbors' lives, but those of my patients as well. And so I ran for office and I defeated a longtime incumbent when no one thought I had a chance. And we've been in the state house for the past couple of years, and now we're running for mayor. Fantastic! Congratulations. Um, what do you? What would you like? To, what, what? What do you see? How do you see Boston? And what changes do you? Yes, think I, are I, I love the city. I mean, I you know the reason why my family came here as a when I was a young boy, I was less than ten years old, was because they sought educational opportunity. My mm -hmm. father wanted to to be the first person in his family to graduate college. And so we moved here. You know, we moved into a small Section 8 apartment in Roxbury. My father worked full-time. During the day, he went to school at night full-time. My mother took ESL classes. And so for me, Boston has always been a place of opportunity mm -hmm. um, where if you work hard, if you dream big, good things will happen. Um, but as I said, it's also been a place of tragedy. It's a city of haves and have-nots. And, you know, from where we're standing right here near Copley Square, it's the northern edge of my district and there's a 30-year life expectancy from right, right here where we're standing till the most southwestern part of my district a 30-year life expectancy difference in about a 30-minute walk now uh, it's a shame it's not right and 
you know, it's time we do something about it. And as someone who's dedicated his life to working for those communities most underserved, I think Bosnia needs a leader who's willing to take up and provide those bold, comprehensive solutions to really, you know, get the job done. And it's not going to be easy. And we know that COVID-19 has exposed and exacerbated so many of our ills. Uh, but I'm up for the challenge, and I've committed my life to it. I think more than anything right now, Boston needs a leader, and needs a leader who's really interested in bringing folks together because that's what the challenges demand right now. Yep. What give us some of your solutions? Well, I think you know when you talk to people in the community, when I talk to my patients, my constituents, my neighbors. I mean, housing, education, and the idea that you know I'm not able to get ahead in life. You know, this, mm-hmm. this, this idea of this uh, inequity gap exists. And I think those are the three big issues the city of Boston faces. Obviously, we have a whole host of issues when it comes to you know, policing, um, you know, transportation, climate, you name it. Um, but I think the deficit right now is leadership. I mean, we can't address any of those things if we don't have you know, innovative, smart, creative people who are willing to put in the work and get things done. Mm-hmm. And so you know, when Marty Walsh, I mean, this has been one, one heck of a year for each and every one of us, obviously, yeah. with COVID-19. And it's a year where I personally doubled my hours in the emergency department, working in, in the midst of the COVID surges one and two. And the Speaker of the House also asked me to be his, one of his COVID leadership people, so helping to come up with a response from the State House. And so I, st- I still serve as the Vice Chair of the COVID-19 Committee. Um, but I mean, just to give you a sense of how crazy the, the year has been for me, I also had my first surgery and I had appendicitis. Um, after the cases went down, that first surge, I got deployed for a couple months to the Middle East. I came back in December. And then when Marty Walsh got the tap to become the next Secretary of Labor, I got to thinking, what does the city need right now? And uh, it was leadership. And so jumped in this race three months ago, and we've put out a whole host of issues and platforms we care about, many of it focused on you know taking a broader framework. I mean, looking at what I call the social determinants of health. You know, when yeah. I look at someone in the emergency room, for example, who's been shot, you know, it's typically a young African American or Latino male, and it's not a coincidence. It's precisely because he and his lacked the opportunities in his community, mm-hmm. the educational and economic opportunities, and so we have to provide those. And so, for example, we put an education plan just out last week, and so much of it is focused on. Um, giving, addressing the achievement gap through uh, the opportunity gap by getting parents more involved with their students' education and by looking for more accountability and transparency from the Boston Public School Schools, first and foremost through a, a fully elected school committee. Okay. And how do, you, how do you get those parents more involved? They've got so much on their plate to begin with. You're absolutely right. And they had a lot on their plate. They have, you know, the majority of Boston public school children are low income. Now, 42% are Latino. Um, they remind me myself when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and the challenges are real. So I see myself in them, and I think you have to really incentivize it. You have yeah. to provide parents you know, reasons, whether that's dinners at the school, whether that's utilizing technologies like such as Zoom or Google Chat, whether that's paying them to get involved. Um, mm-hmm. We're also very interested in putting forth a parent leadership academy where we can really teach parents to get how to, how to advocate for their children and get engaged. It's my feeling from talking to so many families here is that they don't feel at times that the school system cares about them. I mean, they, they drop their kid off at school. This, the school is, the infrastructure is dilapidated, mm-hmm. holes in the ceiling, exposed wiring, broken playgrounds. I mean, what message is that, you know, send, sending to our kids yeah. and to their parents? And so 
really working with them, having honest conversations and make sure that every service is culturally competent and language accessible uh, would be key. That's a great idea. It's a good plan. What, what do you think about the mental? Go ahead, Kel. I was going to ask, since you were saying so many different things there in terms of you're trying to balance it, you double your shifts to working in the ER. How do you personally manage doing all that time? How do you time manage all of that? <laughs> How does it even come together? It's usually everyone's favorite question to ask. <laughs> usually it's one of the first questions. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough. Um, it's a lot of... The, the great thing about being in medicine is that, you know, when you your colleagues and when you're going through education or residency, it's a very difficult, demanding job and essentially trains you for that, you know. And, and I've just been blessed to have been put in work environments and educational environments where I'm working with very high-performing individuals, mm -hmm. smart people, and who just get work done. And there have been a whole host of mentors and colleagues, and, you know, we just get it done. Um, there's no excuses. We just show up and, you know, I've been up all day. I'm going to take a nap in a while. I'm going to work an 11, 11 p.m. shift tonight, and then I'm going to get up in the morning, go knock on doors, because um, that, that is what the city demands right now. I mean, yeah. that's what the people, that my patients, some of the most vulnerable people in Boston, what they demand right now. You know, I know it's you know, it's beautiful outside. People want to enjoy the weather, but I think there's just so much pain and suffering and hunger out there. I think, you know, for me, who I feel has been blessed with energy and whatever you know, little talents I have to just to make sure that they're being used to the most of their ability. Awesome. That's great. Why don't we talk a bit about um, uh, mental health and the opioid crisis sure. in the city, which it's a big is one. a big one right now and such a such a tough situation to get your head around your hands around and come up with any solutions um yeah really interested in what you i mean you you work in that environment you live in the south end i do as well mm -hmm. um so you i think you've got all the credentials to come in and put some creative solutions to helping um that situation and, and i think we have to some extent you know i mean that's one reason why i ran for office you know mm -hmm. i felt that there was such a deficit of leadership in my local community, what's going on? I kind of wanted to go out there and do something about it, you know. Um, and so, I'm lucky and fortunate that I have multiple different perspectives on this. Mm -hmm. I live one block from Massachusetts Avenue, so I get it from a resident quality of life perspective. I pick up needles on my stoop. Yep. I have people intoxicated on my stoop. Um, I also work at the epicenter, the Boston Medical Center is on the corner of Mass Ave and Harrison there. Uh, and Albany rather, and it, it is right there. Mm -hmm. And now I'm the state representative. So I see it in all kinds of uh, in, in, in all perspectives. And it's a challenging one because it's the nexus of, as you said, mental health, substance use, and homelessness. And that's a very difficult thing to, to address, mm -hmm. you know? Um, you just can't give them a place to live because you're not addressing the mental health, substance use issues, right? right. You just can't give them you know, Suboxone or Methadone because they don't have a place to stay, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the challenges are very real and they're very complex. And so why things escalated there quite quickly because the bridge went down a couple of years ago and they had to emergently put people there and that changed the neighborhood and uh, it's, made it for, it's made for a very challenging situation. And so I believe as mayor that the mayor has an incredibly important role in this. So we put forth a plan, I wanna say three weeks ago now, I'm really focused on a couple of things. One, it says that, listen, at that corner right there, or that half mile, what we call Mass and Cast now, that there needs to be a, a moratorium of services. Now, let me just say this, I say this as a physician who spends my nights taking care of these people, right? Mm -hmm. 
who has had people in his family suffer from substance use and who can literally go to the corner right now and, and say, hey, Johnny, Mikey, Lisa, how's it going? Because um, I've taken care of them before. Yeah. Um, and so this is not from, you know, I, I sympathize with them, but this is what's going on there. Those, the nexus of homelessness, some issues, mental health, you know, and the concentration of services has led to a place where there's a lot of violence going on down there. Mm-hmm. I take care of people have been stabbed and shot there. Um, people have been violently assaulted. There is a sex trade going on down there. There are women being assaulted and men being uh, sexually assaulted as well. Um, so in addition to a moratorium of public services for now, we really have to focus on three things. Decentralization, regionalization, and modernization. You know, the South End and Roxbury, they played the role in this. You know, yeah. it's time that other parts of the city and state play their role as well. Mm-hmm. And I think we can do that by having very tough and, and hopefully productive conversations with other parts of the city, other parts of the state to get them involved. And I look at places like Long Island and Shattuck, 13 mm-hmm. acres in Shattuck, as places to create some of these services that we need. Because it's important to we, you know, that we have a discussion about what types of services are needed. It's not just a bunch of detox beds per se. It's some of the beds that are missing in the, in the continuum of care. So we have some, you know, it's not difficult for me to get, get a detox bed from the emergency room. Okay. Yeah. You come in there, I can get your detox bed. But what happens is I'll get you a detox bed. And after five days of detox, you try to go down the continuum of care to a short-term bed. And you can't get it because there's no bed. So you, you, you. You get high or you drink again, then you end up in my emergency department. I'm like, hey, I see you again. What happened? I couldn't get a bed. And so I think it's about planning um, and, but, but really intentional about the services that we need and obviously getting the, the region involved and the state involved as well. And I think as the only candidate in this race from the legislature, you know, we have those relationships with the legislature and with the governor to get it done. Sounds promising. <laughs> Not simple. Or Not easy. simple, and I will but, also add that this year, yeah, this year has been. I mean, last year was probably the worst year, yeah, from a quality of life perspective, and also from some of the substance use. And you know, what we saw during COVID nineteen is that overdoses went up, you know, mental health illness went up, and so it's very challenging. Yeah, what are how how do you reach out and convince other parts of the region to partner when well, you, they don't? Yeah. You know, one not not in my backyard. Yeah, you don't do it by yelling at them, you know. And I think I was at a meeting once in the, in the South End in Roxbury where I saw some elected officials essentially just pouring all the blame on other cities. And listen, you know, over 60% of the people that come there are not from, you know, right. Boston. But, you know, we can't just yell or complain to another city or, or, mm-hmm. or, or town and make them. I think it's about understanding that, listen, substance use issues impact us all. Right, one in four people know someone impacted by substance use across the Commonwealth. Yeah. That is someone's brother, mother, mm-hmm. uh, daughter out there. And there's a lot of goodwill out there in my conversations with stakeholders all across the state. Um, we just need some leadership and mm-hmm. someone to say, hey, you know, you have this issue brewing in your community uh, for people who are living there. Um, and, you know, they would benefit and probably people in your city would benefit from having services there as well. And, you know, this is not something to run away from or shy away from. This is about saving lives. This is about doing your job as a governor or a city councilor, a state rep or a state senator, and, and leading on this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but it impacts us all. What do you need from the community, the residents? What, what help can we provide? Uh, on the election campaign or on the, on the substance well, use? Well, both. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, on the election campaign, it's like we need your vote. We need, yeah. your, we need everything. We need your vote. We need your volunteer hours. We need you to get involved and engaged, um, you know, Boston is a very incredibly diverse ecosystem of thought and opinion mm-hmm. and, and electorally as well. 
and it's a challenge. And as someone who's only been in the political game for a couple of years, um, you know, we are doing our best to get our name out. And we came out with a commercial last week. We're knocking doors like crazy. When I ran the first time, I personally knocked on 9,000 doors. And if I could knock every door in the city, I would. Yep. Uh, but I can't because the city's so big. Uh, but, you know, we need door knockers out there. And I think, you know, I just want people to participate in their democracy because I think, listen, you know, when I'm knocking on your door, I want your, you know, your vote and everything, but I want you to get engaged because I think through that engagement, you know, we can create progress and create change. Um, with respect to the substance use issue, I want first and foremost people to, you know, have a better understanding of it. It is a very complicated thing. Mm -hmm. um, I've never been addicted to a substance, um, and so I can't even imagine what some of those people are going through d down there on a daily basis. I mean, they don't want to be addicted, you know. Yeah. Um, it's, it's this, you know, it, it's, it's this, I mean, they know that they're risking their lives with each shot they take, and, and they're suffering, and they need support, and they want support. And, and I think the South End has changed over the last, you know, five, six, seven years. I can recall in the very beginning, conversations were very tough, but, mm -hmm. and a lot of people, there was a lack of empathy there. Okay. Um, I think uh, things have increased significantly. I mean, things have improved significantly with respect to the South End's and the Roxbury's understanding of, of the epidemic. Uh, but at the same time, the frustration has grown yeah. uh, because not enough is being done you mm -hmm. know, to support uh, not just the neighborhood, but those uh, that need services on the corner of Mass and Cass. Yeah, agreed. Um, and I know we don't have a ton of time here. I just want to touch briefly sure. then on um, housing. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's that's the number one issue, I think, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. where you're, you're safe, you're secure. Yeah. Um, I often say housing justice equals economic justice, yes. equals racial justice, transportation. I mean, you name it, yeah. I mean, a house is, you know, it's a principal part of all this. And I think if you look at any polling data that's come out publicly, I mean, people often rate, you know, housing, you know, has the number one issue in the city of Boston. Mm -hmm. As you know very well, the costs are extraordinarily high. If you want to rent a place, if you want to buy a place, yeah. if you want to get in the market. And we know that... So often, you know, purchasing a house can provide you with that, you know, not just that sense of ownership and empowerment, but can lead you to, you know, creating wealth, yes. which becomes generational wealth, Absolutely. right? And that generational wealth empowers folks, um, you know, can lead to, you know, obviously, um, you know, better economic outcomes that can be passed down from generation mm -hmm. to generation. And that's how we truly tackle the things like this growing wealth gap between black and brown communities, excuse me, between, you know, variety of communities in Boston, but obviously the, the disparity between white communities and, and minority communities. Um, I think we need to build more, first and foremost. I was going to ask you, yeah. how do, you know, do you, are you in favor of changing some of our zoning restrictions to allow, you know, buildings to go yeah. higher? So, I mean, we don't have any more land. It's tough to build yeah. in Boston. Yeah, it, 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 the land is limited and land is expensive. I think there are a whole host of mechanisms that we can use, but my frustration with government is often that we often look at the solutions as, you know, the same two things, whether it's IDP or linkage. And I think there's got to be other ways to think about it as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm happy to, you know, look into ways to increase revenue or increase resources and investment. And I think there are ways to do that. I think the fact that Boston has a AAA bond rating mm -hmm. um, and has done pretty well from a fiscal perspective, yeah. you, know, you can leverage that to, you know, incent developers to develop the type of property that you want to see, you know, um, whether that's green development, whether that's, transit-oriented development, which I'm mm -hmm. a big fan of as someone who does not own a car and someone who, you know, takes the T, um, whether that's income-restricted. I think there are ways to do that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm optimistic that there is a shift there. I mean, just I think it was today or yesterday, the governor said 
some of the five billion dollars he's going to receive from the federal government, he wants to um, spend a significant number of that in housing. And, uh, and we just passed some house, uh, housing choice reform at the state house recently because um, the governor and the legislature felt that you know there have been some um, needed reforms to the zoning that needed to happen, right? And they we yeah. just got them done. So I think we need to build more. I think we need to make sure that people can stay in their houses. Mm -hmm. I'm concerned that you know people feel like they've spent their whole life in the neighborhood. They've helped create neighborhood. Yeah. They've made the social fabric of it, but they feel like they can't afford it anymore, mm -hmm. um, and they have to leave. And so supporting um, you know those families and you know really investing in home ownership opportunities. I feel like sometimes the services and the resources out there are more tilted toward towards the rental aspects. Yeah. And I think you know if we can you know give people better opportunities to to purchase a place and that can you know obviously allow them to you know enter the middle class, create wealth that can be passed on from generation to generation. Absolutely. Well, brings us to just about closing. Um, we want to thank you for coming. Um, love your ideas, and we're certainly will door knock, will fundraise, we'll do whatever you need us to do to get you in. To get you Sign in. you up, yeah. Yes. If anyone out there wants to get involved, it's uh, the website is www.johnsantiago, John without an H, J O N S A N T I A G O dot org. And you know, we'd love to get you involved with the race, we'd love to get you involved with you know, democracy in the city. Yes, there's a lot at stake here. You know, um, COVID 19 has really exposed and exacerbated all you know, the issues that you know yeah. we've. Some of us have been dealing with for a while, but some of us who we're not necessarily familiar with, um, and you know, ultimately, as difficult have these have, as these 15 months have been, and mm -hmm. you know, I've been on the front lines. The real challenge, I think, is the next two, three, four years, yeah, and how we get out of that. And but I also see it as one heck of an opportunity, given the oh, money absolutely. that we're getting, yep. the millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. But we're just going to need leadership. Yeah, and, and, and um, people have changed the way they're looking at things. People got scared, as, as we should be. Yeah. You know, we need to go, and it's the change isn't going to happen unless we get involved. Yeah, I'm optimistic. Engaged. I'm an optimistic person. I mean, that's what keeps me, you know, up and keeps me in the fight, you know, yeah. in the emergency room or, you know, on the political scene as well. But, um, no, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me on. You know, we'll have to set another date for another one. Absolutely. And, We'd love uh, to. Yeah, great conversation. All right. Thanks for coming. Have a great weekend. Right. Thanks, guys. Okay. Thank you. Bye.